Welcome to the CEO of Destiny podcast, where you will find the tools to fulfill the purpose of your generation and wildly succeed in the marketplace. And now your host, Andre J. Benjamin. Talk a little bit about Fidelity Investments as one of these usage cases. Sure. So Fidelity Investments, one of the biggest asset managers in the world, they realize very much that uh, the digital um, the digitization of assets is, is here. They've started to uh, custody Bitcoin as sort of their first digital asset. That's going to lead to a lot of uh, retail investors and institutional investors being able to use a, a, a household name um, entity like Fidelity to get involved in this. I think that's very positive for the industry, but they're looking at it at an even higher level. They're thinking that they can put the, uh, the ownership of these securities eventually onto the blockchain. And again, creating this better, faster, cheaper way of doing business. And so what that ends up uh, leading to for the end, end customer, again, is lower cost, potentially a wider variety of investments that people can, can choose from, faster reporting times, um, better customer service, all, all kinds of different, different uh, potentially continuous trading of securities instead of having a nine to five trading time, potentially you could, you could trade 24 hours a day. Now that is, that's massive because that, that always didn't make sense to me about why, I mean, when you even give the bank example about why, since it's only numbers on a, you know, why can you only go to the bank at certain hours? And then when it's closed, it's closed, like it, nothing's happening on the weekend. That didn't make sense to me as to now something was happening, but it just didn't benefit the consumer. So it's just right. And and because there are less manual processes that are required through a digital form of, of ownership, you don't have to have that human component in there. Um, and, and, and those those costs really flow back to the uh, the end, end uh, consumer in the form of a lower price um, of, of owning of ownership. So can, can you uh, talk a bit about uh, asset back tokens versus commodity? Sure. So like, um, I'll give you um, an, an asset back uh, example of one that I, I purchased. So um, now in Dallas, we have a, a player for the Mavericks named Spencer Dinwiddie. He used to play for the, um, for the, the Brooklyn Nets and the Washington Wizards. I, I invested with him about two years ago to, to buy some, uh, some debt based on his credit worthiness. I thought, hey, this guy's a pretty surefire type of loan. He's got $17.5 million a year coming from the Brooklyn Nets. He wants to take out a $3 million loan. I, I gave him a, a portion of that money. And he, through the Ethereum blockchain, was providing for a 5% type of, of, of debt instrument. Um, what was really interesting about that loan was that, again, it was, it was blockchain-based. And because of the programmable nature of the blockchain, he was able to issue this debt in a way that kept him in compliance with federal security laws. Like, so for Absolutely. example, when uh, an issuer of that type of security um, puts out a bond like that, they have to make sure that the owners of those bonds don't sell them within one year. So if I try to sell you Andre Spencer's debt within one year um, in a paper version, I could probably make that happen. Even though it's illegal, I could probably try to make it, make it happen. Now, if it's on a blockchain, 
the blockchain is going to say, hey, Baxter, you have not held this thing for one year yet. So we're not going to let it transfer from Baxter to, to Andre. Another it has thing, a protocol set in place and it has exactly. a lot. Exactly. So those regulatory requirements are met by the code uh, in and of itself. Um, another thing that, that uh, was an issue for Spencer was the NBA was, was worried that well, what might happen if a, a referee owned that debt or a player on another team? Might that influence how the game goes? Game goes, Or even, even if it doesn't influence it, maybe a reporter might say, hey, I, I didn't like that call that you know, the Mavericks got against the whatever, the, the Lakers. And I think it's because the referee owned a bond that Spencer owns. You can see why the, the NBA would not want that. So what's nice about, again, the chain is the NBA could provide a blacklist of people that they didn't want holding that. Absolutely. It's so, programmable. And what's, again, what's great about that is if, let's say, you want to buy the bond from me and I sell it to you, I don't have to worry that you're on that blacklist from the NBA because the chain's going to enforce that for us. Uh, another cool thing is um, if I do sell you the bond, if it were in paper form, don't you think you'd want Spencer to be informed about that because you'd want the, those coupon payments from the bond going to you instead of to me, right? Because now you bought the bond. Well, with the blockchain, we don't have to let Spencer know because the chain itself is doing all that management of the yes. cap table. So when he pays those those uh, interest payments, instead of going into my digital wallet, they're going into your digital wallet without any, again, manual intervention to do that. So that would be sort of an asset back type of, of, a, um, of, a, of a loan that's on the blockchain. I think it's, it's very exciting. It kind of shows a glimpse of what's going to unfold. I and mean, that that's shows you the efficiencies that can come from being on the blockchain. It's kind of a new asset because the everyday person wouldn't be able to get access to like an NBA no, player. No, it's democratizing that's a lot, system. which we'll get more into. Would, what, and what would you say is a commodity? What's a commodity type? So commodity would be like, for example, uh, in, in Britain, you have what's known as the Royal Mint. They uh, hold gold bullion and make gold coins for the British government. Um, let's say you wanted to own some uh, some gold, but you don't want to hold it yourself or you don't want to uh, buy it from an exchange. You can now buy it in tokenized form. And what's interesting about this is one token is the same as one ounce of gold. Now, you might say, well, how do I know with the token that there's actually gold in that in that vault in the UK that, that's just been sold to me? Well, an auditor goes through once a month and they run checks and make sure that, that the mint actually has an equivalent number of ounces of gold as the number of tokens that are issued on the blockchain. The auditor can see how many tokens have been issued very, very easily and transparently through the blockchain. And then they can go in and, and make sure that there is physical gold in those vaults in that, uh, in that depository in, in Great Britain. So it, you know, that, that's a, an example of gold being on the blockchain and being able to be traded 24 hours a day, seven days a week through this exciting new technology. Why did something like Libra not work? I think that the technology behind Libra would have worked very well. What I disagreed with about their strategy was that they were having a basket of currencies. And what I mean by that is they had a little bit of the dollar, a little bit of the yen, a little bit of the euro. And so the prices of that fluctuate on a, on a daily basis. And so it would be an accounting nightmare if you 
I think I actually used in the, in the book the example of a woman Absolutely. going out in Seattle and buying dinner with her Libra. If she bought those Libra for say $100 and then they became worth $103 because the value of the yen, the euro, whatever that was in there fluctuated, the tax man's going to have his or her handout saying, hey, you've got $2 worth of profit off that, that Libra that you held. You're not going to want to keep up with all of those. No, because it's, it's constantly fluctuating and it's it would be frustrating. And it's frustrating to the vendor who they sell it to for it to immediately dip on the negative side. It's like, oh, it goes by the time it's, you know, the transactions made, let's say it dropped by four dollars. You're like, right. You shorted me. And then they're coming. It's an accounting nightmare because now they're contacting the customer and say, hey, you actually owe us another four dollars. Yeah, I do. Yep. Exactly. So, so you want to keep some of these things simple. Uh, at least at first, we want to keep it simple. Um, that, that's where the growth is going to come from, is simplifying kind of everyday tasks, again, making what we do in our everyday life better, faster, and cheaper. And, and I think Libra was just too darn ambitious. They weren't have one Libra coin for you know, every country in the world. And, and we just, we still live in a, you know, societies where people transact in their, in their home currency. And so I think- absolutely. There and has you have to pay the tax person who's going to collect those taxes in your home currency. So trying to go too far um, outside of the system, um, it, it, it can have its its uh, it, it, its pains. And so you know we, we, we want to make things um, work and, and 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 work well. And I just think Libra was was too far ahead of its time. Too early. What do you, what do you think about uh, you know? Well, let's talk about these accredited versus unaccredited investors. So when people, you know, say that there was a commercial project, there's this huge, you know, five huge skyscrapers that are going to go up for commercial usage. The average person who's just getting started in investing and has some capital to invest typically is not going to know about a deal like this, correct? That's correct. That, that's, that's right. I think that the tokens give a, a, a better way for people to be able to learn about these things and transact into them. But there are still laws that require the issuer of those securities, in this case, say, whatever, the Empire State Building in, in Manhattan, to only go to accredited investors. Um, that may change over time. I think they're, they're looking to, to potentially um, edit that. I, I do think that opportunities should, should uh, be open to, to anyone that wants to participate. Um, but there is still this idea that um, there need to be, be safeguards. And that gets more to a political type of argument. But at least what I would say with the blockchain at this point is that the potential for people to be able to have access to those kinds of investments has increased. And that's, that's what I wanted you to highlight is that there's opportunity because now it can change the way that people think with tokenization. It can, it can say, okay, well, if we have these safeguards and it's already programmable, there's still a way to now give opportunity to those who ne- traditionally didn't see an opportunity. The, the, the person issuing the tokens, of course, definitely having, you know, regulation and whatnot, because um, I just think that saves the, or that helps the consumer. And what, yeah. do you think about, what, what do you think about in terms of, uh, you know, IPOs, how does this, how could this change or benefit a, uh, you know, a company going public and, and, and when I, so I got exposed to blockchain and begin, I, I was exposed super early, but I didn't take any action because again, I thought of it more leery and I, I don't know about that. I, it sounds a little strange, but come around 2018, 
in the 2017, beginning of 2018, I said, I want to start going to uh, blockchain conferences because I picked a field of something that I didn't know that I was a little intimidated, heard a little just negative about. And I said, I just start forcing myself to go to these meetups and whatnot and start listening to the different panels and asking questions and engaging. And I said, all right, let me get a hold of some of this. And the worst I could do, I told my wife that let's do the set it and forget it experiment. And uh, we hit the, I think it was the two year mark. I said, when the two year mark happened, it was up what we put in. And I said, oh, I want to pull it out. And she says, you haven't even thought about it. Just leave it. Like, let's just see what happens, you know, and then let's learn more about it, but let's see what happens. And I'm glad I did because it surged up more. And now even in the lowest time, it's only went down. I'm still been up like four times what I initially put in. So it's just, it's just interesting, of course, to, you know, to expose ourselves to more information and to learn things and to, you know, be as prudent as we can. Uh, what, what, what do you think about Web3 and Ethereum with the ability to, you know, the, the, basically the future of Ethereum? As, what is your confidence in Ethereum and kind of, you know, the smart contracts? Just break that down a little bit based upon your understanding and, and Web3. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Do us a favor. If this was useful in any way for you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Reviews will allow others to easily discover the podcast. If you'd like more information and to receive a free download, rediscover your destiny, go to ceoofdestiny.com. Thanks again and tune in next time.